Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Alpine Church. My name is John Bellis. I'm the lead pastor up at the Alpine Logan campus and also have the opportunity to serve on the executive team here at Alpine. And it's great to be worshiping with you this morning if it does happen to be your first time here. Thank you so much for checking us out. We hope you feel very welcome today. I also want to say a big welcome to those of you watching through our online service this morning. Thanks for joining us. And today's kind of special. Today, our West Haven campus is joining us virtually for the sermon. So how are we doing in West Haven? Hope you guys are doing great in West Haven this morning. You know, if you're new to Alpine, we're a multi-site church. So that means we're one church, but we meet in multiple locations every Sunday. So I want you guys to do me a favor. On the count of three, we're going to give a good morning West Haven greeting to our brothers and sisters in West Haven, all right? One, two, three. Good morning, West Haven. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, last week we started a new sermon series for Advent. And last week we talked about hope. And I hope that last week's sermon gave you a renewed sense of hope. You know, hope isn't really an emotion, but hope affects all of our other emotions. And I don't know if there's anything worse than hopelessness. So if you've been battling that, if you've been experiencing that, I want to remind you that the hope we have in Jesus Christ is stronger than anything you're going through or any battle that you're facing. Last week, we looked at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we talked about these different names that were given to the Messiah and we mentioned that we would focus on that last name, Prince of Peace, this Sunday. So in the second week of Advent, we focus on peace, the peace that the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, came to bring us. It's a little ironic though, isn't it? Like on our trees, we have ornaments that say peace. We look around town and we see signs and decorations that have the word peace on them. So many of the Christmas carols we like to sing, like Silent Night or Hark the Herald Angels Sing, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, all speak of peace. And yet, the Christmas season is often the most chaotic, tense, conflict-filled time of the year. There's the busyness of the season, all the Christmas parties and, and get-togethers and work functions. There's the financial pressure it can bring as we're trying to buy gifts for those that we love. There's the conflict within those family gatherings, whether that be siblings or in-laws or our spouses. And then there's also often internal conflict. There are issues in our life that last year we swore at Christmas time we were going to address. But here we are another Christmas down the road and they still poke up their ugly heads in our lives. Or maybe for you this season, this is the first Christmas that you're experiencing without a loved one who passed away this year and you're battling internal conflict over words you did say or over words you didn't say before they passed. There are so many things that can steal our peace. And so my hope for you today is that you would experience the gift of peace. The gift that our loving God took steps so that you could receive and experience. 
So let's start with a definition of peace. Because the peace that Isaiah is talking about here in Isaiah 9 when he calls Jesus the Prince of Peace is fuller. It's deeper than what we typically think of. The, the Hebrew word that's used in this is shalom. And if you grew up going to church, that's probably a word that you've heard before. But shalom is not just the absence of conflict. It's the presence of wholeness. So I think for most of us, when we think peace, we just think of the absence of conflict. You know, we think maybe there's a situation where, where two enemies have been battling one another and now that conflict is resolved. And that could be large-scale peace, like between nations, or it could be peace within a family, peace between coworkers. But shalom goes far beyond not just having conflict, but instead to having complete restoration. Shalom is a state where things are whole, where things are right. And that's the kind of peace that Jesus came to bring us. So today we're going to talk about three different environments where we can experience that peace. Peace with God, peace within ourselves, and peace with one another. So let's start by talking about peace with God. And my question is, are you at peace with God? As I ask that question, you probably have one of several responses. You might say, well, you know, John, I just kind of do my thing and... I let God do His thing, and I'm not really hostile towards God, and I don't think He's hostile towards me. Or maybe your response would be, I'm, I'm a good person. You know, I try to tell the truth. I, I try to treat people like I want to be treated. And I think for the most part, I'm good with God, and God is good with me. Well, I say this as gently as I can and with a heart full of compassion, but that couldn't be further from the truth. In our flesh, we are not at peace with God. In fact, the Bible says we are enemies of God. We're not complete. We're not whole. We're broken. And we don't have shalom with God because our relationship with Him has been severed by sin. And I know that may be offensive, but I'd rather you know the truth than to walk around unaware that if you have never put your faith in Jesus, you are not at peace with your Creator. And the reason we're starting with peace with God is because peace with God is the starting point for wholeness in every area of our lives. So you won't experience true shalom with yourself or with others if you don't have peace with God. Every one of us was created with this God-shaped hole in our heart. And until you fill that longing, you're never going to be complete. That's why there's this restlessness in your soul. Now, you can temporarily drown that out with power, with pleasure, or with possessions. But at the end of the day, when the dust settles, you still experience that longing. The good news is God doesn't want this separation. God wants to draw you to himself. God wants a relationship with you. He loves you even though you're his enemy. Jesus commanded us to love our enemies. I don't think Jesus commands us to do something he's not willing to do himself. Right? Romans 5.8 tells us that God showed his great love for us by sending Jesus down the cross for us while we were yet sinners. So when did God demonstrate his love for us? While we were still sinners, God loved us. But in spite of this great love for us, 
God is also just. And if you leave this world as an enemy of God, you will spend eternity without Him. But the beauty of the Christmas story, the beauty of this time of the year is that God took it upon Himself to make a way so that you can have peace with Him, to make a way so that you can have shalom. Let's go back to the prophet Isaiah. He talks about it like this in Isaiah 9-7. He says, His government and peace will never end. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Now, I'm sure Isaiah's audience that he was originally writing this to thought that he was talking about an immediate peace from a, a military standpoint. If you remember from last week's message, they were facing imminent invasion. And they wanted to see this kingdom established on earth right here and right now. But I believe the prophet is talking about something much greater. And I think this prophecy is being fulfilled in stages. There was the immediate deliverance that the nation of Israel experienced during King Ahaz's reign. We talked about that briefly last week. But there is also the spiritual kingdom that has no end. As Jesus takes his reign in the hearts and lives of all his believers. And I think this also looks forward to the millennial kingdom, to the thousand-year reign where Jesus will reign here on earth and reign in a physical kingdom. But his reign doesn't end there. That's a special aspect of his reign, but he's going to keep reigning after that for all eternity. It's like the song we sing every Christmas when we sing the hallelujah chorus of Handel's Messiah. How does it go? And he shall reign forever. And ever, hallelujah, hallelujah. I was going to sing that this morning, but Pastor G said he would pull the plug on the stream, so <laughs> you guys can thank him for that. This peace never ends, and this peace happens because of God's power. It's His passionate commitment that ushers it in. It's not dependent on Israel. It's not dependent upon us. In some translation, it says, in his zeal, he will make this happen. God's going to do the work. Now, we know the prophets were writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but do you sometimes wonder, how much of this did Isaiah really understand? Like, did he really get what the Holy Spirit was trying to say through him? See, it seems as though Isaiah thought the Messiah would establish this permanent kingdom on his first advent or his first arrival. Isaiah thought that as Jesus came, the Messiah would grow from a child into a man, and that he would permanently establish his kingdom. It doesn't seem that he was aware of the gap between Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming. And I'm going I'm to show you a passage in, in the New Testament in just a minute here that, that shows they didn't fully understand the salvation they were writing about. I think sometimes Isaiah had to wonder how what he wrote in passages like 9-7 fit with things he wrote in Isaiah 53-5, for example. Isaiah 53-5, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. That doesn't really sound like a conquering king, Messiah. It doesn't sound like someone whose government will never end. That sounds much more like the suffering servant Messiah. How did it all fit together? When we look at this verse, I want you to notice the specificity 
of how Jesus died for us. That Jesus, in fact, was beaten. He was whipped. He was pierced for our rebellion. And crucifixion wasn't even a common form of execution when Isaiah wrote this. It it happened before the Romans came into power, but the Romans are really the ones who kind of perfected the art of crucifixion. This is another reason I trust the authority and authenticity of the Bible because of prophecies like this that were fulfilled so specifically even though it happened 700 years later. And all of that was for us. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. That phrase made whole, that's shalom. So we can have shalom with God. Here's that passage in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 1, 10 and 11. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. See, Peter is talking about the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah. And he says they wanted to know more about the salvation through the Messiah that they prophesied about. They didn't fully understand it. They wondered when it was going to happen. They wondered how it was going to happen. They knew it was going to happen because they knew the one who made the promise. But they had questions about how it all fit together. How could the Messiah conquer but also suffer? How could he reign but still be beaten and whipped? How could he humble himself but still receive great glory? And I think Peter is a little awestruck as he writes this. Because Peter realizes what a privilege it is that the Holy Spirit has revealed to him the truth that all these prophets longed to know more about. And it wasn't just revealed to him, he got to see it. He was an eyewitness to the salvation that we can have through Jesus Christ. Paul sums up being made right with God or having shalom with God in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He writes this, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So we see again in this passage that God did this. God is the one who made the way. He's the one who made it happen. The only perfect person to ever walk this earth, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, was made sin so that we could be made righteous. The wrath of God was poured out on him. Some translations say so that we might become the righteousness of God. The original Greek word there means to have a state of full and right relationship. Sounds like shalom, doesn't it? Wholeness, completeness. If you've never experienced that, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've never been at peace with God, I encourage you, you can experience that today. I'd ask you to come up after the service is done. Let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. We'd love to answer your questions. Pick up a copy of The Pursuit in the lobby at our welcome desk. We'll help you get connected with someone who can walk you through that because you can have shalom with God here on earth. The next area that I want you to experience the gift of peace is peace within yourself. Are you at peace within yourself? 
See, we just saw that God made Christ to become sin so that we could become his righteousness. If God is no longer holding your sin against you, why are you holding on to it? If the perfect, holy, almighty God of the universe who has every right to hold your sin against you, if he's not holding it against you, if he has removed it as far as the east is from the west, which is what he says, why are you pulling it back on yourself? One of the names given to the devil in the Bible is the accuser. And man, he's really good at it. He's really good at accusation. That voice you hear that whispers, you're not really different. You're still making the same mistakes. You're weak. You're selfish. You're going to eventually wear out God's patience. Right? Some of you guys are nodding. You know that voice. You know what I'm talking about. He's really good at it. That's when you need go-to verses where you can speak truth back to those lies. For example, Romans 8.1, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. For now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. What a powerful truth for us as believers that as a follower of Christ, there is now no condemnation. If you're experiencing condemnation, that is self-inflicted. That's a lie from the devil. That is not from God. Now, as it relates to our first point of today's sermon, the opposite of that is true as well. That if you don't belong to Christ Jesus, there is condemnation. I want to take a minute and talk about the difference between conviction and condemnation. Because conviction is a good thing. God brings conviction through the Holy Spirit to lead us to repentance. The Bible says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. See, conviction comes with answers. Conviction comes to drive us to Jesus. Conviction comes so that we can bring our sins and lay them at His feet and not keep carrying them. Whereas condemnation seeks to push us away from Jesus. Condemnation says you don't deserve to have your sins forgiven. You should be ashamed. You should pull them back on yourself. It seeks to push us away from the grace of God instead of drawing us to the grace of God. God's forgiveness has nothing to do with whether or not we deserve it. We don't deserve it. That's the beauty of the gospel. It has nothing to do with whether we deserve it or not. It's all based on His character and His love. Here's a promise in Isaiah 26. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Now, this is pretty cool because in the original Hebrew language, the word perfect and the word peace are both shalom. So the promise is God will keep in shalom, shalom. So he's going to keep you in perfect peace, a peace that's whole, a peace that's complete. And who's he going to do that for? All whose thoughts are fixed on him, all who trust in him. Do you want to experience more inner peace? The world would say, empty your thoughts. Don't empty your thoughts. Fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts on God. Fix your thoughts on what He's done for you. That's how you have inner peace. This is how Paul talks about it in Philippians 4, 8 through 9. There we go. And now, dear friends, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. 
Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. What do we usually fix our thoughts on? Don't we usually fix our thoughts on our shortcomings, on our mistakes? Or we fix our thoughts on things that are temporal, things that are material, things that aren't going to last. We're supposed to fix them on what is true. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have shalom with God. That is true. Think about that. Fix your thoughts on that. That God looks at you and God says, you are righteous. You are holy because of the blood of Jesus. God's commands are honorable and right and pure. Fix your eyes on those. The gifts God has given you are lovely and admirable. Think about that. Think about God's character, which is excellent and praiseworthy. And as you do that, the God of peace will be with you. You'll have shalom within yourself. Let's wrap up with the last level of peace, and that's peace with those around us. And much like we can't experience peace within ourselves until we have peace with God, you can't really have peace with those around you until you have peace within yourself. Have you ever noticed that? That the people who are hardest to get along with typically don't like themselves, right? God commanded us to love our neighbor as ourself. So if you hate yourself, if you don't have peace within yourself, that's going to impact how you relate to all those around you. So the last question I want to ask today is, are you at peace with others? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because I want you to have peace on the car ride home. But how many of you are dreading an upcoming family get-together because you know there's going to be conflict? Well, see, I can't even, even though I said don't. There's that one person or that group of people that you just know you're going to have conflict with. Like when you hear them talking in the room, it's like nails on a chalkboard, right? And for you kids, you don't know what that means. Ask your mom and dad what that reference means when you get home. Proverbs 16, 7. When people's lives please the Lord, even their enemies are at peace with them. Now look, guys, this is a proverb, not a promise. Okay, a proverb is a statement that is generally true. So this isn't a promise that if you live a life that pleases God, you'll never have conflict. In fact, I would say just the opposite. There's a promise in Scripture that you will have conflict when you live a life that pleases God. But overall... Your relationships will have more peace, more completeness when you live a life that pleases the Lord. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. We should be more committed to peace in our relationships than anyone. We should be leading the charge when it comes to creating peace and completeness in our relationships because we know what that feels like. We know what it feels like to have somebody take the first move to have peace with us, even though we don't deserve it, because that's exactly what God did for us. The holy, almighty God of the universe gave everything so that we could have peace with Him. How can we then withhold peace and forgiveness to those around us? I would submit that's the most hypocritical thing you can do as a believer. Now look, I'm not going to stand up here and say that just because God is at peace with us, it's easy to live at peace with everyone else. I know it's still hard. There are still difficult people in our lives. There are still times when people wrong us, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can extend forgiveness. 
Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have self-control. We can hold our tongue. We can mind our words. We can try to empathize with that person. We can put ourselves in their shoes. And whenever I find it difficult to forgive someone, I just go to the cross. And I think about how God has forgiven me for every sin I've ever committed. And when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, God said he would forgive every sin, past, present, and future. And you might say, but yeah, John, you don't know what this person has done to me. You don't know the wounds they've caused me. And you're right, I don't. And I don't want to minimize it, but I do know this, that in my relationship with God and in your relationship with God, it's 100 zero. Here's what I mean by that. Anytime you have conflict with God, it's 100% your fault. It's never His. And yet in spite of that, He has forgiven you of every sin you've ever committed. And in your most difficult relationships here on earth, it's not 100-0. You might think it is, but I promise you it's never 100% their fault and 0% your fault. It's not how it works. Hey, and it's probably not 50-50 either though. <laughs> In most relationships, there is one side that's causing more harm than the other. So let's say it's 80-20, and that other person is wrong 80% of the time. It's still not 100-0. God still forgave you, so you need to forgive them, and you need to try and make peace. I want to take just a minute, and I want to have a, a family conversation here. And what I mean by that is our Alpine family. I want to talk about core value number two. Core value number two at Alpine Church is we work hard at healthy relationships. We give one another benefit of the doubt. We assume the best about one another. I hope and pray that is not just something on a poster on the wall. I hope that we're actively doing that. I hope that we're committed to that. Guys, I'm telling you, God is doing amazing things in Utah right now. I've lived here over 30 years. I have never seen a season of harvest like we're in. He is drawing so many people to Him, and they're responding. Every week at every campus, we have new people coming in who want to hear about the peace that Jesus offers. And the devil's going to try and blow that up. And he's going to try and blow that up by sabotaging relationships within the church. Nothing stops the momentum of God more than friction and dissension among believers. So I want you to work hard at core value number two. I had a lady at the Logan campus who reached out to me a couple weeks ago and said, Pastor John, i got to meet with you. And I could just hear the angst in her voice. I said, I'd love to meet with you. So she and her husband came in, and she had some concerns about some things she had heard in a sermon. She had some concerns about some of our philosophy of ministry. And so I just sat down and I listened to her. I did my best to hear her. I did my best to put myself in her shoes. And at the end of that meeting, we still didn't agree 100%. Listening doesn't always mean you agree, but she knew that I really heard her, and we were a lot closer at the end of that meeting than we were when we started, and she understood that the things that we didn't agree on, the reason we were doing things the way we were doing is because we are 100% confident in what God has called us to do here in Utah, and that's how people go full circle in their pursuit of God. And so the things that we do, they're not haphazard, they're not just by habit, they're very intentional, very strategic. And I was so grateful that she took the time to come and talk to me directly. In that meeting, she said, honestly, John, I almost canceled three different times. I just didn't want to come and have the conversation face to face. How easy would it have been for her to just go grumble and complain to someone else? 
I was so encouraged that we had that conversation. I told her that multiple times. That's the attitude we all need to have. That we value the relationships with one another enough to have difficult conversations with gentleness and humility. Can you imagine what God would do if we were really committed to that in West Haven and in Layton and in Logan and all of our campuses? I'm telling you guys, we'll be adding services left and right. God will blow this thing up. So my challenge to you this year, this Christmas season, and in 2024 is let's be serious about core value number two. I want to take a look at our last passage of the day. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We have been given this wonderful message of reconciliation because we've experienced it. We know what shalom with God is like when we put our faith in Jesus and he's called us to share this message of reconciliation around the world. So I ask you, have you been allowing God to use you to appeal to others? Is there anyone in your life that you've pleaded with, come back to God? See, shalom is not just the absence of conflict, it's the presence of wholeness, and it entered the world through Jesus. The only way people in your life are going to experience true shalom is if they have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. And God has given you this wonderful message of reconciliation, and He wants you to go be His ambassador and share it with someone. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me when I dwell in the past. When I do try to pull sins back on me, when I do allow condemnation to sneak in. Because Jesus, that's not from you. You've forgiven all of my sins, past, present, and future. Because of you, because of the cross, I can have peace with God. For those of us who have experienced that, we know it's like no other feeling in the world. It's like a 10,000-pound weight has been lifted off our shoulders. And so, God, if there's anyone here today that's just dragging that around, that has that burden of not being at peace with you, I pray today would be the day that they'd throw that weight off, they'd accept your gift of salvation through Jesus. And God, for those of us who have already done that, I pray that we would look for opportunities this week to be your ambassadors. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.